0: that Canuck fans should be excited for the team making the playoffs this year is that Chris Faber of the Canucks conversation has promised to uh, shotgun 12 Mike hard lemonade blue freezes and I think everybody wants to uh, see that
1: I don't know if everybody actually wants to see that because I really don't know that I want to see him get alcohol poisoning from stupidity
2: yeah or like, like I said before you know instant diabetes like right on the spot I, you know just just to see it attempted, I say, go Canucks, go. All right, uh, everybody, welcome to episode five of the third line. We are down a member today. Liz was predisposed. She's got a million other things on her plate. So we're down a man, relatively speaking, and a woman. I know, I know. And uh, yeah, we're going to truck on because that's what we do. And uh, Liz is just going to have to listen like everybody else. So once again, we're swapping host duties. So this week it's my go. So we got Chris Roy, me, myself. We got Adam Kurzenblatt and Jess Mosley here with us. And uh, yeah, we'll start off the same way we always do. And we'll just do a quick recap of uh, basically the last week in the WHL. So Adam, how have the uh, Giants
0: looked? They've looked okay. You know, they're just shutting out people left, right and center. Uh, they also, or they're allowing one goal. Uh, they have like five shutouts in 11 games this year, which is, you know, pretty good. But considering that they're only playing within the BC division, um, you have to take that with a grain of salt, which we'll, uh, which we'll discuss a little bit later.
2: All right, Jess, how about you? What's uh, Tri-City looking like last week or so?
1: <laughs> COVID protocol? Uh, oh, right. Unfortunately, they, Yeah. They had a positive test on Saturday, I think, and uh, postponed all the games for Saturday, Sunday, today, I think, and then all the way into this weekend as well. Um, And it's just kind of been really quiet, honestly, on the U.S. division side because they haven't had any games until tonight. And I didn't watch that game because we're doing this. I don't actually know what's going on in that game right now.
0: The game tonight's postponed. There's no game tonight.
1: There isn't? Which? You...
0: Price City and Seattle was postponed.
1: No, no, no. I thought there was another game today or maybe it's tomorrow. I don't know. Oh, it is tomorrow. Yeah, no. So, there's uh it's tomorrow's game. It's uh, Everett and Spokane. So, yeah, like the whole week there's been like pretty much nothing because of all the postponements.
2: We are on top of things here at the third line, folks. This is riveting <laughs> stuff here. Uh, <laughs> you know what? We're learning and we're having fun doing it. So,
1: Well, to be fair, there's a lot going on.
2: And you know what? Let's just blame it on the CHL TV app. Just say you couldn't see it because it was frozen. Oh that
1: yeah. CHL app sucks so bad.
2: It's getting better, but it's still terrible.
1: It's, it's still awful. I'm looking at it right now. And it's I mean, it's, parts of it are decent. But yeah, no, the The feeds themselves. are pretty bad.
2: Yeah, the price we paid to get it. I mean, it's it's nice to be able to s- attempt to watch your team. So let's just <laughs> leave it at that I guess it's basically half the, half the time. It's like radio, you can hear it, but you can't see anything. So I mean, Uh, In Victoria here, we have a local news station, um, The Zone 91.3, and they live stream all the audio for games, so it's kind of cool. So you can at least hear the games, and the CHL TV app is basically like listening to The Zone, which is free, so that's not a good marketing pitch for them, but... Yeah.
0: One thing that I'll say about the CHL TV that I wish they had is that you could choose your commentator. Yes. So that I wish that you could choose home feed or away feed. Um because you know, I like I I the Victoria like tonight, the Victoria Royals uh commentator is pretty good, but you know, I'd rather probably listen to the Vancouver feed because it's going to be more geared towards the things that I'm looking for when I'm uh, writing articles or even as a, f- as fans you're looking for.
2: Yeah. Marlon Martins is the guy that does the play by play for the Royals. And he's, he's pretty good about keeping it somewhat generic, but at the same time, you definitely get that excitement level when the Royal score versus like, Oh, Vancouver scored. Like as a fan, you want to hear that excitement level and you want to hear them going off in the intermission about, you know, players that you follow and, not necessarily 20 minutes on some guy for a team you don't follow.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have that issue down here. I can uh, I can listen to the Winterhawks on their app because the Winterhawks have their own app. Um, so I can listen to, like, Nick Merrick, call games who I love listening to. Guy gives me a heart attack every time he calls a game. But, um, but I don't get to do that when I'm watching, like, Tri-Cities or one of the other teams Um, and if the feed isn't working with the CHL app I'm basically dead in the water I can't I can't see it at all or or even listen because I'm out of network for the other uh, four U.S. division teams so
2: yeah I'm actually curious like obviously it's the same situation for you which kind of surprises me I thought that might have been just because for BC, we've got the hubs, So we've got the Kamloops hub and the Kelowna hub. So I thought maybe they would just give the announcers for whatever team was the home team for that specific game. But clearly you're just stuck with whoever's the home team yes. regardless. And
1: I, I, I'm actually kind of shocked for because you guys have the hub. You guys are all playing in the same arena. They could technically set up both feeds in different booths to be able to broadcast, whereas here in the in the US division it's done in each of the teams arenas so the broadcasters for the other teams aren't allowed in basically so that to me makes sense but in the in the hub I'm kind of shocked that you, you don't get that
0: choice well well for instance the giants broadcast is available every single game you just have to you just have to listen to it on the radio or on the radio station's website so I can turn on the broadcast, the the audio broadcast for the Vancouver Giants and then just mute the feed because they're in the building. But like, if you're already having two feeds going and they're the exact same feed because they just draw the audio feed from the radio, then why not just, why not have that option?
2: Maybe it's just a level of technical like planning that they didn't really allow for with the hubs and who knows? I mean, it's... It's better than it has been. I I didn't get the WHL TV last year, but my understanding was it was even worse than this. So, I mean, they're they're making steps Um, in a year when they're also not making any money. Kind of surprised that, uh, you know, it's as good as it is. So hopefully if uh, enough people subscribe, maybe they'll make a few bucks and they'll realize that there's a market there and maybe they need to improve the product. But on that note, uh, I will go into a little bit about the Royals. They've been just kind of status quo. Um, it's been a rough go for them. And they lost 7-2 to Kelowna on, what was that? That was Monday. And their last game before that, I believe, was Saturday. Nope, I'm wrong there. Let's, uh, you know, again, super prepared. Um, Friday. So Friday, they played the Prince George Cougars and lost 5-2. So 5-2, 7-2. By the looks of things, they are still leaning on Braden Tracy. He is crushing it for uh, this team right now. And uh, it's it's impressive. I mean, obviously, first-round NHL draft pick, you want to see uh, that kind of production. And he's definitely given it. He's got eight goals and six assists in 12 games so 14 points in 12 games six power play goals in 12 games so he's definitely pretty lethal there um the line of tracy pfizer and cutler has probably been i don't have the math in front of me but probably 80 percent of the royals offense so when those guys are firing it's okay but when they're not it's kind of a train wreck. And unfortunately, but these it's a lot of young guys and they're learning and you know, there's some good steps being taken and we'll see the end product probably next season. This is going to be a really good learning experience and a lot of these kids are going to get some great lessons. Yeah, it's it's they're still so fun to watch Their their effort levels there and uh, some of these young guys uh, are given reasons, given the fans reasons to be hopeful. Um, Braden Sherman being a rookie He's at, you know, five points in 12 games. Nothing crazy, but for a rookie, not too bad. Um, Trent Crane has been flying lately. Yeah, it's it's definitely tricky right now. And, I mean, this season, you know, when I talked to the Royals coach and GM, Dan Price, uh, a week or so ago now, he was mentioning how this season they they're looked at it as a – a a tool basically to just see what they had in their system and uh get the guys some some playing time and you know when you bring 12 rookies to a season it's fairly unheard of even the whl i think that's pretty unheard Mm -hmm. of and you're gonna have growing pains and uh yeah it's interesting and i really hope that this kind of helps bond the guys and We'll see a better product next season back in the uh, Save on Food Center in Victoria. I want to go to games. I miss live hockey. God, me too.
0: See, I miss going to games, but I don't miss, like, being in the stands with, like, a ton of people. Because I remember, like, you know, you think back to, like, all, like, kind of, like, the gross stuff that we did back in the day, I'll call it. Now, where it's, like, everybody's using the same, like, ketchup dispenser or, like... I think I think through this like um, a lot of us has become have become like more aware of just like how disgusting we were before covid hit That's and the is just like a gigantic like germ
2: it's
0: it's something that people don't really
2: think about but it's amazing how much things have changed i mean I, uh, a couple of years ago i got sent to japan for work and i spent 3 weeks there and that culture has already adopted masking up when you're not feeling well. And I, I think the misconception is a lot of times um, people think that they're worried about other people. And I, I think the the concept behind it is if you're not feeling well, you mask up to protect others. And when you're there, you, you see it everywhere. And I think their logic ha- is sound. It's I mean, you look at the numbers this year. Our flu numbers are through the floor. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's interesting and it's a great point, Adam, that like people change the way that they view the world and that idea of, you know, sharing a ketchup dispenser with 7,000 people at a game, nobody would have blinked an eye two years ago. Now, suddenly everyone's like, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to do that. So it'll be curious to see how things go when the world goes back to quote unquote normal. We'll pull it back. We'll uh, save that for another day. We were talking about WHL recaps covered all of our teams. One of the ideas that we talked about in our group chat was the idea of some of these players that their numbers are kind of through the roof. Obviously first one that comes to mind is a guy like Connor Bedard, um, Peyton Krebs for the Winnipeg ice. Again, also crushing it. You know, you look at Tristan minor and some of his shutouts that he's had and Dustin Wolf and One of the things that popped into our head was would these stats be as crazy if they were playing every team in the league as opposed to just in their own division? And an example I'll give is anyone in the BC division right now, every fourth game is against the Royals, and they are such a young team that's in like a transition and they're learning. And I cannot help but think a guy like Bedard playing in this division it would be so hot and cold you know you play the royals one night Bedard's getting five six points play minor the next night he's getting shut out because minor's shutting the door and it's just really interesting to see to think of where these players would be if they were exposed to everyone in the league obviously nhl it's the exact same situation you know yeah. would Connor mcdavid have as many points as he did if he was going up against the likes of you know Philip Grubauer or Tuka Rask or, you know, some of these higher end goalies that maybe you're not necessarily getting in the Canadian division. What's your take on that, Jess?
1: Well, I tend to agree with you, you know, looking at the stats for like the Brandon Wheat Kings and the likes of them, would they, would they be as high up in the divisions as they are if they weren't playing the same five teams over and over and over again? Because At some point it's easy enough to get a read on your opponent and know exactly how that opponent is going to respond to a shot you know where their weak side is and stuff like that so after so many games you're gonna know where to take the shot or how to take a shot or something like that you know to get it past your goalie or the other team's goalie I mean so if you're constantly seeing the same five teams over and over again you're gonna learn the tricks against those teams and find ways to get past them but if you're seeing multiple teams and you don't have that ability to learn and read that team then you're going to have more of a challenge throughout the season
0: and it's has been brought up that um by you know many people throughout the dub network that the uh, goaltending seems to be optional in the east division so, like, we don't know what it would be like if they had to play goal, uh, different goalies. Like Justin Sordiff. Here, I'll give you Justin Sordiff as a great example. So, Sordiff has 19 points on the year in 12 games. He's got 11 points in four, game, in four games against the Royals this year. So, you see what happens when you play the same team consistently. Or even going back to the NHL, Caprice uh, Kaprizov? believe his name is, with Minnesota. He has 19 goals uh, right now in the NHL. He's got to play Arizona. He's got to play uh, San Jose. He's got to play Anaheim. He's got to play LA in his division. So, like, how are we supposed to compare him um, against, you know, uh, Robertson of Dallas who has to play teams like Tampa Bay and Florida, where the goaltending is a lot better. or Nashville i or Chicago, like so it's it's gonna be very hard for people to compare seasons, not just in the w h l but also in the N h l, just because we don't have basis of what type of performance are these players gonna put up if they have to travel cross country and play thirty thirty other teams just compared to within their bubble minus the Canadian division in the N h l where travel is maybe like a couple hours.
1: No, you're absolutely correct. I mean, uh, there's so many teams within the NHL that are super strong, you know, and you've got like, before they restructured it for this year, the Metro division is one of those divisions that's just overpowered with extremely strong teams. So you tend to see those, those teams battling it out. And even the ones that are, maybe don't make the playoffs within the Metro division, there still would be contenders in other divisions because of how heavily that that those teams are, you know, geared. So it, there are definitely areas of each division that are weaker. And I would argue that the West division is one of the weakest of the NHL.
0: Also, just like the East division of the uh, WHL, the Canadian division's goaltending is... Uh um optional a lot of nights as well. So that's why we might see Connor McDavid, you know, hit 100 points in uh what is it? Four, uh, how many games are they playing this year? Like 56. 50 I something.
1: Think. Yeah, like is it 56? Yeah, like so.
0: McDavid is is going like old world because he's playing against guys like uh Joey DeCord in Ottawa or uh Jake Allen in Montreal, Jack Campbell in uh, Toronto.
1: Hey, Campbell's actually a good goaltender.
0: I'll give you another
2: example. Um, Jacob Markstrom without Ian Clark. Yeah. Because as much as I love Marky, you know, he was a stud for us, but I really, I'm, I cannot pump Ian Clark's tires enough. I mean, you look at what's happening to to Marky this year and he's just not the same as he was. And is he that guy that's, you know, six by six is, is that going to come back to bite you? And, you know, like you said, in that division, it's, it's interesting too, to find out, like, cause a lot of st- contracts are structured with bonuses and is a season like this going to qualify for some of those bonuses? You know, like, do you prorate those bonuses because you're not playing an 82, 82 game season? So say one of these rookies gets a, you know, $750,000 bonus if he hits 30 goals. Well, if you're doing a 56 game season, is that a prorated bonus now? Will he get that money still? If he hits 20? or 22 or whatever that uh, ratio is. It's a curious, I don't have that answer, but I would love to to read up about that because you look at that. And again, in the right division, those rookies or those players that have those performance bonuses are definitely getting an advantage um, as opposed to someone who's in that uh, division with the hurricanes and, you know, the lightning and some of those teams that are a little bit more defensive and you know they're gonna shut you down they're not playing 80s Oilers hockey where it's seven five games right and uh, on that topic uh, one of the things that I definitely wanted to touch on was uh, how the Canucks have looked coming out of their quarantine everyone basically the entire industry you, you look at the the amateur bloggers the podcasters the Mainstream media and even guys like Friedman and you know more locally Satyar Shah and Chris Faber and you know some of these guys that cover the team every day and none of them had high expectations about the Canucks being able to come out of this with any sort of ability to be competitive and you look at what's happened two games and uh yeah they've won both and it's looked they've been outshot but it's been competitive and they've outworked their opponents. And for a team that had 22 players on COVID protocol, I believe it's been crazy to see and very, nobody expected it to happen. And it's, it's been fun to watch.
1: I agree. I mean, I didn't really have uh, very high expectations of them coming out the gate after having so many people on the COVID protocol either, because you know i mean it's it's proven that covid affects your respiratory system and 3 weeks off at all but to be also you know sick like that it's going to mess with your lungs and it's going to mess with your ability to you know stay on the ice and push yourself farther and and harder in case you get like caught with an icing and you can't get off the ice so i don't think anybody really had any high expectations and the can the connects honestly just blew it out of the water and I'm still shocked I'm kind of wanting yeah it's been two games I want to see how they do the third game I'm kind of is this really it or are we gonna see a slide
2: just like a quick purr or like a uh, basically a surge of like you know what we're good we're good and uh, uh, no maybe not so much and I've seen a lot of uh, all over the place, too. It's been attributed to Braden Holtby has been stellar in in relief of Thatcher Demko. For a guy who has this this entire year, it's been kind of a uh, not so stellar season for him. He's been not looking like the Braden Holtby of old. He's looked more like a backup goalie, to be fair. You know, he's not necessarily paid as a backup. The Canucks gave him a a pretty good salary coming in, probably hoping to see a 1A, 1B situation with Thatcher. His performance has been more backup comparable. But coming out of this break, he has been standing on his head. That whirlwind pad stack save the first game, like, my buddy actually texted me and he's like, dude, have you been sending Braden Holtby your game clips? Cause I, that's how I play. It's, it's, it's disaster. It's Dominic Hasek, just throw a body part out and hope that it hits you. And that's, that's my game. He stole my moves, but uh, you know what? It was beautiful. It worked. If it didn't work, it would have been embarrassing, but props to Braden Holtby, but him, uh, him in particular and Horvat Horvat has put this team on his back. I don't think a single person in that room or outside of that room is questioning right now, why he has the C on his chest. He's leading by example. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like trying to interview him because as much as I love Bo, he gives you the cliche hockey answer every time the safe (laughs) answer, God love him. You know, he's a hockey player. He is what he is. And you know, the captain doesn't really want to rock the boat, but he is everything you want in a captain. Stability, calmness, and putting the team on his back, leading by example. And when nobody had any faith in this team, he said, fuck that, boys. Let's show them how it's done.
0: I also have to give a uh, special shout-out to uh, Tyler Myers, former uh, Kelowna Rocket, because uh, after Alex Edler, other f- former Kelowna Rocket was uh, ejected from the... Uh, first game versus the Leafs, the Canucks almost killed Tyler Myers by making him play 30 minutes of game time in his first game back in three weeks after having a respiratory uh, illness, and there were times during the game where, you know, Holtby would be covering up the ice, and Tyler Myers, who is a giraffe, basically, is on, like, all fours, just barely able to it looks like he's barely able to breathe and he somehow gets the assist on the game winning goal in overtime and it's like these hockey players are something else like you can't walk up the stairs one day and then the next day you're playing 30 minutes on the ice like it's incredible it's insane and you know
2: what i will you know i won't take anything away from any one of these guys on this team anyone that had any covid symptoms and is out there battling it's it's a miracle it's Miracle might be a strong word, but these guys are rock stars for sure. I will, however, say that Tyler Myers in game one of the season, fully rested an entire summer of working out, still kind of looks like that. He's flailing around. He's laying on the ice. He looks like he's dying. (laughs) Tyler Myers looks like that. 82 games a season. Sometimes it works for him. Sometimes it doesn't. But I don't think anything really looked any different. He kind of just does what he does.
1: I do hope he kicked Edler though, <laughs> making him stay on there for 30 minutes.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now Edler's suspended. So yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I can't really argue with the uh suspension on that one. That was not a good play. And the and I'm blanking on the name. Who was it that got the knee? Zach Hyman, Hyman. yes. He's Zach Hyman. He's out for the at least Two weeks with a sprained MCL, which hurts like a bitch. I've done it. (laughs) So
2: (laughs) when you look at the play, it's, it's literally, and I've said this for the last year, year and a half, Edler's not the same player he used to be. And he's, he had a good year up until the COVID thing. He's looked fairly decent, but every time Edler takes a penalty, when you watch each individual penalty, it's a penalty of, being out of position and being tired and he's looking like a bit of an old man out there when he gets out of position and gets tired he take he does something stupid and it's not like you know diving to break up a breakaway and he gets the skates before he gets the puck or something like that it's okay a guy went around me and made me Mm -hmm. look dumb so i'm gonna hook him or you know the zach hyman incident he was about to go around him and edler knew that he was beat so he stuck a leg out a little bit I don't think he meant to hurt him, but it was definitely intentional to get that leg out and slow him up. And it's, it's a lazy kind of like, you know, I know I'm beat. I got to do something. And I think that's the, the game plan of a guy who's, who's lost a step. And, you know, as much as I love Eddie, he's, he's been a, a rock on this team for years. He's definitely not the, the Eagle of old. That's for sure.
0: So I'm going to just go off on a little bit off a sidetrack of, like, what's going on in Canuckland on top of that. So, um I don't know how international hockey news this will get, but there was a group of fans today that, over the last couple weeks, they have been uh, planning a, a flyover of Rogers Arena with a fire Jim Benning banner hanging from an airplane, and they actually sent it out today because Benning, you know, over the last seven years has not been the best GM, probably one of the worst. And, uh, they, and there's a mixed reaction to it. But what I liked about it was that, you know, they pay for the banner and then they donate the rest of the money to the uh, Canucks Autism Network. Yep. Um, and they also have an option, like, you can donate to the Canucks Autism Network. Um, but it's, I think this might be the first time in hockey, because I know it happens in European football, but like the first time in hockey that I've actually heard of like fans purchasing a banner to fly over the arena. And now there's talk that Francesco is not very happy. Obviously, he's not, because why would he be? But that there's some big announcement that he's going to try to make to deflect this. And a lot of people are speculating that it's a uh, Travis Green or Ian Clark. Uh, negotiation and contract extension so it's very so it's it's a very interesting time to be a Canucks fan not only do we have the fact that the Canucks are back in the race because they have four games against Ottawa they're eight game eight points back in Montreal with games in hand uh, after tonight if Montreal loses and then you have this flyover and then you have um reporters in Toronto who are You know, commenting about, oh, yeah, laugh it up, Canucks, but the Maple Leafs are 24 points ahead of you in the standings. And then on top of this, you also have the legends that are John Shorthouse and John Garrett literally laughing at a goal David Riddick allows last night on live broadcast. So it is just the ultimate storm of amazingness in Vancouver that has come in the last, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours when it surrounds the Canucks yeah it's
2: it's been fun you touched on a lot of things there but uh the the idea of getting a banner flown behind an airplane basically saying fire bending i mean when your fans can't come into the arena and voice their concerns you know what else is going to happen and the idea of francisco deflecting and kind of avoiding the subject, and you know what? if if he wants to avoid the subject and give Ian Clark an extension, you know what? Great, all on board hundred percent. I've said this many times. Pay that man his money. And if that's his way of of deflecting and not talking about Benning, bring it hundred percent. Travis Green, not quite as strongly, you know opinionated about that, but Travis has been great with this group. And I think the, the guys believe in him and I don't see any reason why we should let him go. Um, I think Ian Clark, if I had to choose, I would take Ian Clark over Travis Green 10 times out of 10. But I would obviously want both. So if that's his game plan, great. Extend both right now. Get the, the topic off of Benning. Fine. But eventually it's going to circle back. You have a guy who has had nine years, sorry, seven years to rebuild this team. They don't look really any better than they did near the beginning of the rebuild. And he's still saying in two years time we will be a playoff contender. Well, that will put you at nine years. If you have nine years to take a team and rebuild it fucking rights, you should have a contender at that point. Any GM in the league should be able to turn around a team in nine years. And you're always going to get the player or the, trolls on social media that are like, yeah, look at Edmonton's rebuild, you know, look at Toronto and look at all these teams. Yeah. I'm not necessarily saying a Stanley cup winner, but you can't say that, you know, teams like Edmonton and Toronto aren't ahead of Vancouver right now in their rebuild phase. They're definitely better prepared and they're more prepared to go on a run. And I get super heated when I get on the topic of Jim bending because the guy I think, should be you know, peeling potatoes in a kitchen somewhere. I don't have any faith in his ability to run this team anymore. And everyone's like, oh, well, he's so good at drafting. Well, you know what? Let's see a, fu- a few straight drafts without Judd Brackett. Like, once Judd Brackett left, let's see how those picks that Jimbo did by himself turn out. And I don't know, I, I heard for years that Vertanen was a Jimbo pick and bracket did not agree with it. He wanted someone else. I haven't really dug too deep on who bracket wanted, but I mean, you look at Jake and, you know, fan favorite in Vancouver, but no one can say he's turned out to be what he should have been. And Jimbo gets me fired up. I I can't even get going on Jimbo because I'm an upset. Um, anyways. Yeah. So lots going on there. Um, I agree. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's always fun. I mean, Canucks Twitter, it's legendary. I mean, Elliot Friedman has touched on it. It's it's the product of a team that has been mediocre for 40 years. And they're just itching for any level of success. And the two times we've had it, it's been heartbreak in game seven of the freaking Stanley Cup finals. If the only chance you have ever gotten to get to the show, you lose in game seven in both games, Of course, you're going to be a little bitter and you're going to be a little heartbroken. And Canucks Twitter is legendary, that's for sure. What we're going to discuss next was the idea of the social media and uh, some of these guys that really try to, I mean, you cannot take anything away from Patty Marlowe, the guy. I mean, yes, Gordie Howe had four or five seasons in the WHA, which would put him close to 500 games above Marlow. Yeah, that's great. It's not the NHL. The NHL is what the record is and records were meant to be broken. They're they're records for a reason. If you try to Mm -hmm. say, you know, uh, that's like trying to tell Alexander Ovechkin that he needs to retire before he breaks Wayne Gretzky's goal scoring record because it's it's out of respect. If the guy can play, let him play. And you know what? If he breaks the record, great. It's because he was meant to break the record.
1: All right.
0: I'll throw out some stuff in regards to uh, Patrick Marlowe. So first off, he hit 900 consecutive games today. So say what you like, you know, he might not put up the points, but I, there are how many players don't even play 900 games total in their NHL careers. Like this guy has played 900 straight second. He's had multiple seasons that have been cut short. So he's had the lockout season, he had the second lockout season, and he had this COVID season. So you're talking about maybe like 100, 120 games that could be added on to this uh, record if he played all those. He has over 1,000 points. Like I know the arg or 1100 points or something. Like I know the argument will be like, oh well, if you just play long enough, you're gonna get points. No, because how many of these defenders or forwards play? You know, like 900 games and they have like 200 career points, 300 career points. Games is not equivalent to you're going to get points. You're going to get goals. Like you need to be good enough in order to actually get points in the NHL and to stay in the lineup.
2: Yep. hundred percent. It's, you cannot take anything away. I believe I don't have the stats in front of me, but it's something to the extent of 25 or 26 seasons. I believe that he's got, and I believe 18 to 20 of those seasons, he had at least 20 goals. Like that's, that's a, an efficient NHL player.
0: He has five hundred career goals like I, I don't care how many games you play yeah. if you have five hundred career goals, you're a good player like it doesn't like its yep. how many players have five hundred career goals? yeah not a lot of them. I can guarantee you that like it's uh, it's just stupid, like people need to you know respect Patrick Marlowe uh as a Canuck fan i rem like he was the backbone of those. San Jose teams that, you know, went to the conference final, went to the final, the ones that were against the Canucks in those I want to say like 2008 to 2013-14 like when the Sharks were really at their peak he drove that team. He was good enough to be signed by Toronto and then be traded to Pittsburgh. Like this guy's a good, he's, he's a good enough player that teams want him besides San Jose. So I don't understand where this whole uh, argument his, his best, Technically,
1: his best. He was traded to the Canes. Oh yeah. The
0: Canes legend. Yes.
2: you know, K- Carolina <laughs> hurricanes legend, Patrick Marlowe. Um, <laughs> his best year goal wise was in 2009, 2010, 44 goals, 39 assists for 83 points. And in 14 playoff games had 13 points, like a point a game in the playoffs almost pushing 50 goals, you know, definitely the leader of that team. And Patty is one of those guys that had the dedication to the team that he was on for so long. He didn't quite make it to the extent of a Steve Eiserman or Joe Sackick, where he stayed with the team the entire time. And he had that loyalty. He kind of went and tried to chase a cup because he knew that San Jose was not in that position. Unfortunately it hasn't happened for him yet, but Anyone that has that kind of longevity, I don't care who you are. I mean, we're arguing whether or not Damien Cox is an idiot. I mean.
1: I don't think we need to argue that point.
2: No, that point's dead in the water.
0: When we get our lawsuit uh, sent in by uh, Damien Cox, uh, we will let you uh, let the listeners know. And maybe you guys can help us pay for our, uh, our uh, defamation suit against us.
1: Uh, he has nothing on us for defamation or libel or slander.
0: No, we're entitled opinion. to an opinion. We're not saying <laughs> that,
2: you know, the guy's, you know, a terrible human being who has committed crimes. We're just right. saying that his opinions <laughs> are trash. Opinion
1: crimes.
2: Yeah, pretty much. So um, on that note, like, you know, a lot of a lot of Marlo love, you know, when we had our debate as to which player Liz had Marlowe, I was fully on board to slander Mar- Marlo until the cows came home because I was trying to win. <laughs> turns out liz has more followers so the followers selected liz is the winner of that debate (laughs) not going to get into that but i did bring that up while liz wasn't here because i don't want to die um but uh you know ton of respect for marlo great guy you know he went to try and chase a cup and then came back home you know san jose's home that was his go-to that's his team he wanted to retire a shark and i gotta give props to that obviously marlo has been he's had a great career and uh i i do want to ask did you guys see the uh the bit that matthews and marner did uh sending a video message to marlo congratulating him
1: i saw parts of it but i never watch videos with sound on so i didn't see what actually happened
2: so <laughs> So Matthews and Marner obviously played with Marlowe for a couple seasons there in Toronto right. and he really adopted him as kind of like, you know, sons that he never had kind of deal. Like he has sons, but he you know,
1: doesn't he have like four of them. He's,
2: he's got a ton of boys, but you know, <laughs> he adopted them into the family. They spent a lot of time with them. So they wanted to send a little video tribute, a little message saying congrats. And uh, they were basically thanking him for bringing, jumbo over onto the team jumbo joe thornton because again it's kind of like a perfect replacement for patty you know you get that older veteran guy to kind of teach the ways and so they're sending their video tribute and in the background coming through the equipment room is joe thornton naked with everything blurred out and he's just like taping his stick or something in the background and then he looks at the camera and he's like hey what's up and he just keeps going. Like, so he's, he's just that guy, like keeps, keeps everything loose. Jumbo Joe in the background, rocking, walking around in the equipment room naked. It's, I think it was hilarious and it's just an example of like the kind of guys that you just, I don't think you see anymore. Those personalities like Yager and Thornton and kind of those larger than life guys that, Some of these young guys are probably just like, holy crap, you're crazy. You're hilarious. Like, I've always said for the last couple of years that I feel like some of the guys coming up, they're so programmed from an early age. They have like nutritionists when they're eight years old and they just, they're kind of a little bit more robotic. They don't really have that personality that some of the older guys do. And I just thought that was super funny to see the tribute video to uh, Patty and Jumbo in the background doing his thing.
1: Sorry, I was I was just thinking, actually, because the way that you said that, that uh, the younger kids are coming up into this and they don't really seem to have a personality. And it's kind of interesting. I was just realizing, I think it's more of like the generation that grew up with social media and stuff like right in their face. They kind of tend yeah. to be a little bit quieter um, because they don't want certain things on social media about them. Yeah. And... I was, I was my brain just kind of like went backwards in time to like, you know, the like the early tw- 1900s and stuff like that, like back when like people were acting all proper and shit like that and then kind of got away from it, brought out the personalities and stuff like that, where it's more common to see and like embracing that. And now we're kind of going back into more reserved behaviors because of social media.
0: Yeah. Like, I don't know how many, uh, I don't know how many NHL prospects nowadays are going to say that if they score, what is it? Four or five goals that they're just going to whip out, uh, whip out their unit and start uh, uh, whipping it around the ice. Like uh, Joe Thornton did in Vancouver a couple of years ago. That
1: Isn't that because they call the four, like four goals, a dick trick. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's it. <laughs>
2: Um, no, because it was, I believe Thomas. No, Thomas is it? Her- Thomas Hurdle is it? Thomas Hurdle, Thomas Hurdle. Uh, he got four goals, and I believe his uh, celebration was a little over the top. And some people were asking Joe Thornton, you know, what do you think? As kind of an older vet in this league, like, is that okay and whatever? And I believe, I'm paraphrasing, but it's a very close to what he said. He's he said something to the extent of. If I got four goals in a game, I'd pull my junk out and start tugging on it.
1: Yeah. And that's uh, if you look up the the term for four goals in a game, it's actually called a pants trick for some reason. I looked this up the other day because we were talking about this, Um, but I've actually heard it. Yeah, I don't know why I was like really confused by that. I was like, okay, Um, but I've actually heard it referred to as a dick trick many times. And I'm going to guess that it's Joe Thornton's fault for that one.
2: Yep, 100%. I I think he probably (laughs) created that. On a different note, though, if four goals in a game is called a pants trick, if I see that in real life, does that mean I'm supposed to throw my pants on the ice? I
1: have no idea.
2: Because that's amazing.
0: Like when the Barbarian scores, you throw your pants on the ice.
2: That's right. (laughs) You know what? Can you imagine, like, you know, NHL or not let's call let's go with CHL say you're at a you know Portland Winterhawks game and someone scores four goals and everybody throws their pants on the ice then you have 7,000 people leaving the arena with no pants epic <laughs> epic pants trick
1: same time like mm, <laughs> kind of questionable because those are kids on the ice
2: well we can get you know we can bring up Liz's story another day where you know she was Donald ducking it in front of a bunch of kids I mean
1: she did have pants on, although I did tell her not to do that.
2: Yeah. Anyone that listened to episode two, I believe, was that through two or three? It was two. Two. Yeah. So maybe just backtrack. If you want to hear about Liz. I told Donald... her not to. If you want to hear about Liz, Donald ducking it in front of a bunch of 16, 17 year old, 18 year old kids. <laughs> episode two. Good times. Um, So... Another thing that came out recently um, obviously with the George Floyd case and Derek, I believe his last name, Chauvin, uh, the police officer, the police officer who I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm not sitting here trying to, you know, walk on eggshells. He straight up murdered George Floyd, you Mm -hmm. know, argue with me on Twitter if you want. I don't care. Um, So he got convicted.
0: That's why there's mute buttons on Twitter.
2: A hundred percent. Yep, I'm entitled to my opinion. And uh, I think it's valid and you will easily get muted if you want to. We can have a productive conversation. But if you want to be, you know, a troll, you get muted real quick. Um, so the trial came out and obviously he got uh, found guilty. Sentencing hasn't happened yet, but the sports world was kind of jumping on and making their message known. And there was a few teams that did it right. There was a few teams that did it wrong. And there was a couple leagues in particular that did it very wrong and not necessarily saying they said anything bad. It was more in what they didn't say. And the NHL itself came out with, it was one or two sentences. And to paraphrase it, which is obviously dangerous, but look it up for yourselves if you'd like. But I will paraphrase it. It basically said, maybe we can move past this now. Don't need to worry about this anymore. We can move forward and try and heal as a society. But the basis of what they were saying was, cool, now we can move on. And I don't think it would take a rocket scientist to agree that the problem itself is not dealt with. And it needs to be discussed further and yes this was a step in the right direction but for a league to come out with one or two sentences a giant black screen let me add with two sentences in white font and a lot of negative space and everyone was like why don't you go into a little more detail pittsburgh penguins had a great statement basically saying they straight up called it the murder of george george floyd which is you know some people might call it a controversial take or a hot take but They had no problem saying this is the way we feel and we're happy about this verdict and we really want to be activists moving forward and trying to help heal our community. And basically all the things you want to see your local organization say. Canucks also had a pretty good statement. And uh, yeah, there was just, there was some really good uh,
0: organizations that came out. I'll read out the NHL league statement and it won't take that long. While we hope the end of the trial offers a chance for healing, we remain committed to actively engaging in the movement for equality, and we invite our fans to join us in supporting systematic change. That's the end of the statement. First off, there are tons of grammatical errors through here because that sentence should not be that long.
2: Yeah, and that's coming from some amateur writers.
0: (laughs) I I was listening to some of the... uh, I guess, podcasts and shows that are in on the Vancouver radio and all of their responses were like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like the NHL posted it basically like the second that the trial was done, it it doesn't mention anybody's name. It doesn't mention what happened and it doesn't mention what they're going to do about it you know, the M and the one I like the most is the NBA because the NBA released a statement with the players association. And by doing that, it's kind of says like, we're in this together. The teams have all released pretty good statements. The NFL released a good statement, but it just shows that either the NHL doesn't care for whatever reason. And we can look back at last year when, uh, during the bubble, when they were the o- one of the only leagues to, you know, not to, yeah, to play until, uh, I Bo Horvath and the Canucks kind of stepped up and were like, we're not playing against Vegas. Condone these actions. But it's just another example of the NHL using what we call hashtag activism, which is like, we're just going to put out a statement just because we just want to seem like we're doing something uh, when we're really just not saying anything. And it's just, it's like, it's frustrating because you, if the NHL did not release a statement, nobody would have cared. Like, there might have been a couple people that were like, oh, yeah, why didn't he release mm-hmm. a statement? But, like, the, I wouldn't have cared. The fact that they actually put out a statement is more negative than them actually not putting out a statement.
1: I think I, I, I disagree with you. Um, I think a lot of people would have cared if they hadn't put out a statement. The, the NHL notoriously has been behind the ball when it comes to activism for decades. Because a lot of the activism that other sports are getting involved in don't apply to the NHL community, the group. I mean, you've got this sport that is like 98% white. There, it is 90% guys. It's 98% white. It doesn't apply to them. the, the These issues, these gender equality issues, these racial equality issues, it doesn't apply to the majority of the players that are playing hockey. So the NHL and leagues, you know, WHL, OHL, all of them, they've all been extremely behind the ball on this activism because it doesn't affect them. Whereas, you know, you've got football and you've got the NBA who are largely POC players. So these, these issues Affect them more. So they're going to be more vocal about it. But the NHL is finally being held accountable for not getting involved. And I think that small statement is them attempting to do something, but also still a slap in the face in terms of what they could actually be doing. You know, you've got players that. Are, are trying so hard. You've got like Matt Dumba and you know, the, the hockey diversity Alliance and all of that. They're trying to do things, but they're kind of stymied by the NHL's lack of anything. I mean, they're just apathetic about everything.
0: Well, the hockey diversity Alliance one is actually very interesting because if you go back to uh, when it was formed, you know, the NHL was like, yeah, we're totally into Investing in this we're gonna make a change and then after like six months the hockey diversity alliance basically said well We haven't heard anything from the NHL. So we're just moving on without them. So it's like It's they're blank statements that don't mean anything. I also go back to the um, The what was it the stop Asian hate? Statement that just had no substance whatsoever Uh, What was it a couple months ago and like people were making fun of the statement because they turned off the replies which generally means that they knew that the statement was bad and they just didn't want to deal with people coming at them so it's just like you have pr people for a reason you have social media people for a reason and that's this reason like Put some effort into it. You could have put the person's name, you could have put George Floyd's name in it. You could have, like, literally put police reform in the statement. They didn't mention any of the buzzwords, any of the keywords. If I'm reading that, I have zero idea what happened and why they're making a statement. So, what's the point?
1: I mean, ultimately, what it comes down to is they just, it doesn't apply to the NHL. It doesn't apply to the people in there. Exactly
2: it's too new of an issue for them. I think, um, I, I think, you know, moving forward, they're going to realize that it's an important issue and something they're going to need to deal with, but because it hasn't affected them. Um, I just think that the, the effort level and the the education just hasn't been there. Um, moving forward, the more of a voice, some of these players have, the more they're going to be forced to learn and to deal with it. And, you know, all it would take is just following suit with some of the other leagues. And the NHL always tries to say, you know, they're trying to compete with the big four, NFL, NBA, MLB. All three of those leagues have, I mean, Major League Baseball would be probably the second quote unquote whitest league uh, to the NHL. They have a lot more um, Latin Americans and you know, um, you know, people from Dominican and things like that. So they have a very they have a very vibrant and very, you know, inclusive group and uh, it's very diverse. But I think that when it comes to in the United States, which is the NHL's prime demographic, that's where they want to grow the game. That's where the money is. You know, money talks. And that's, you know, the NHL, if they're going to try and compete with those big three, they have a lot of work to do. I mean, no one is going to take over the NFL anytime soon. NFL is number one, always has been, always will be. I mean, maybe with the exception of the early, early like 1900s when baseball was king, but NFL's on top. NBA and MLB, I feel like they're fairly interchangeable. Depends on what area of the country you're in, where some might be more popular. But NHL is going to be playing catch up for years. And all three of those other leagues are doing their best to learn, to educate themselves, to try and be part of the solution. And if the NHL doesn't follow suit, I feel like they're going to be you know, outcast as the league that doesn't care, doesn't give a shit, and is perfectly happy just being a league full of, you know, privileged white males and it's a dangerous thing to do. You really want to kind of set yourself up for success. And I think a big part of that is leading by example and trying to change the communities that you're in. I don't see anything wrong. A lot of people, there were so many comments online, um, when any sportscaster or anything had a comment about the trial, There's so many people that are just like, stick to sports.
1: Oh, I'm so tired of that.
2: I'm so tired of that. What are sports good for? Unifying communities. The number one purpose of sport, I believe, is to take a community and unify it to a common goal. Everyone in your local market is like, I mean, yes, there's going to be some that aren't going to cheer for the local team, but the majority, it's you're unifying a community for a common goal and that's a generalized concept of what sport does that is why sport is so important on these topics because you can unify a community to a goal whether it's winning a Stanley Cup whether it's winning a Lombardi trophy or whether it's changing your community for the better and trying to you know give equal treatment to every human in your community they all have Merit. They all have value. And in my opinion, treating humans equally is more of a value and has more merit than winning a championship. Your community relies on you to be a leader and to be leading the charge in dealing with issues like this. And anyone that says stick to sports, go watch ping pong or table tennis or bowling or something. Where you know you're not dealing with a major conglomerate that their entire goal is to unify a community.
1: I, I completely agree with you. But I think the idea of stick to sports and sports isn't isn't political or anything like that, those arguments are complete and utter bullshit. There has never been a time when sports aren't part of politics. I mean, when you win a when you win the World Series, you win the Stanley Cup, where do you go? you go to the white house i'm sorry that's political okay you've got you've got baseball finally ad- admitting the negro league into the hall of fame after decades of keeping them out that's political all of these sports have been based around political issues in the past and now these players have platforms that are large enough to reach other people, and they are using them to use their voice, and you cannot sit there like Brett Favre with his bullshit about you know sports need to stay out of politics. I wish that guy would stay out of politics. You know what? Take your own advice, dumbass. Get out of politics. But you know, it's it's not about sports staying out of politics. Sports are part of it.
0: Also, like uh, if you don't care too much about politics and everything in sports, then why is the national anthem played before each game
2: 100% and you know, why is it that you know, you can rally around your country when you know, during the Olympics and everyone's rah rah pro USA, whatever. I'm sorry, that's technically politics. You are cheering for your country to do well and they kind of go hand in hand. It's nationalism. It's it's pride of your country. And the way I see it, just because you think, you know, stick to sports. I don't want to hear about anything else. Well then that just tells me everything I need to know about you as a person. And you know what, you don't want to see this on your timeline because you don't agree and you don't want to get into an argument and blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine, whatever. Then just leave your opinion to yourself. You don't need to spend the 12 seconds to type leave sports out of politics or leave politics out of sports. That doesn't solve anything. And it just lets everyone know what they need to know about you. And no one is saying that, you know, there needs to be ads during the baseball all-star game for the democratic or Republican party. That's not what we're saying. This is not necessarily even politics and treating humans equally. That's not politics. That's life sports being the platform that they have and the voice they have and the I'm going to repeat myself a little bit, but you know, I, I firmly believe that one of the best things about sports is unifying a community. And when your community is wounded and needs help, who is better than the local sports team that has 10 million fans in that community and has that voice to reach that level of people. This
0: example that I will, I can give you here is new Orleans. So after hurricane Katrina, New Orleans, the the Saints, they became this beacon of hope for the entire city. And then they go on to win the Super Bowl.
2: Yeah, and and that's an example of where the community rallies around or the team rallies around the community and vice versa. Yeah. And, you know, if you're in New Orleans and the New Orleans Saints say, hey, our community is wounded right now. We need to try and heal it. There's so many hardcore Saints fans in that city. If you break down the city population into Republican or Democrat, you know, you might be split fairly down the middle or, you know, slightly one way or another. You break that city down into Saints fans or non-Saints fans, you got a much higher percentage. And so you're able to reach a larger demographic without getting that polarizing effect of, the democrats say this or the republicans say this and you're going to get one side fighting with the other and you know what the new orleans saints say blank 90 percent of people in new orleans are gonna be like hell yeah saints say it hell yeah i'm gonna do it i'm gonna work towards something you know maybe they don't actually go out and physically do much but maybe they start the conversation and they they get something moving but you don't get that polarizing effect that you get with politics so in a way Sports and politics are connected, but at the same time, they can be their own separate entities that can actually solve things differently and maybe more efficiently. Before getting too in-depth in politics, we will move on. The W A H F Women's World uh, Championships have been cancelled, unfortunately. And a lot of people are a little upset because the men's under 18s have yet to be canceled. The logic behind this is being obviously, well, clearly women's sports is not as important. Um, It's unfortunate. And I believe again, it's all stemming from money, money talks and the sponsorship dollars that are coming in from the under 18s is probably a lot more than the women's championship is going to draw. And, It's disappointing that that is the deciding factor and that these athletes are going to be forced to miss something as huge as this due to that being the circumstance. I mean, obviously, COVID is a big factor and nobody wants to be putting themselves in harm's way or exposing a community to something that it doesn't need to be exposed to. It's hard to say, well, one's okay and one's not. And then it leads you to the next topic of, well, why is one okay and not the other?
0: So, I'll go into a little bit of detail kind of surrounding um, what's going on with this uh, women's international hockey uh, situation. So, not only did you have this tournament, you also had the World Juniors and the Under-18s cancelled last year, or this, I guess, in what would have been played at the beginning of this year. Um, The Men's Under-18 is played in Texas. The World Juniors is played in Edmonton and the world championship for the men is played in Europe now what people are call are angry about is that All the men's tournaments are going on, but none of the women's tournaments are allowed to there is also a problem here because it shows the lack of Drive that the WHF actually has to run these tournaments because the tournament right now is scheduled for the Maritimes and it's only a couple weeks away so you cancel the tournament a couple weeks away without having any type of backup plan whatsoever. Like, I'm sure there are tons of arenas that they could use in the States and that the players would be so happy to participate if they could. On top of that, now they're talking about that they want to move this to the summer. Okay, so you move it to the summer. So now you're burying it underneath the Olympics because the Olympics are the summer. It just seems like, once again, that the IIHF, they just don't care about these women's tournaments whatsoever. Because maybe they don't make as much money as the men's tournaments. but these are important tournaments because especially with the world juniors and the under eighteen tournaments, these are tournaments that are used to determine players' scholarship opportunities for universities or to get into the different women's hockey leagues around the world. And then the world championship is a honor tradition where these players who might not get to play that often because they have uh, regular uh, regular jobs, because they can't afford to live off of a hockey player salary in the women's league that they they get their opportunity to play. Like one of the players on Team Canada, I know, she's a VPD officer. She doesn't play regular professional women's hockey, but she's on Team Canada because she's that good of a player uh, consistently. So it's just there's so much that went wrong in this scenario. They're going to just play the COVID card because it's the easiest card to do it. But just looking at kind of the logistics behind this, the fact that they didn't have a backup plan, which is entirely stupid in COVID and the fact that the world juniors was played in Edmonton in a bubble, but, and they couldn't find anywhere else in Canada to play this anywhere else in the world to play it. I just think it's a cop out by the WHF saying, well, we're not going to make money off of it. So we're not going to spend the money to promote the uh, women's game. So
2: it's, it's tough because I believe that the WHF has always played a little bit safe when it comes to this kind of stuff. The WHF, I just don't think they want the press, first of all, if there was going to be an outbreak. And my opinion on it is going to be they don't want the bad press, especially if there is not a ton of money to be made. If there was money to be made, they could deal with the occasional... Like oh shoot, we got you know one team that needs to quarantine for a few days, waiting for some tests. Blah blah blah. The headache that comes with COVID, I really think what it comes down to is they're willing to deal with the headache for team or for a sport or an event that makes money. They're not willing to deal with it if there's no financial gain.
0: And as somebody who's watched a lot of the uh, women's tournaments, like I, I love watching the women's. Uh, World uh, world juniors and the women's world championships because they're just so much fun like the hockey is played at such a high level and it it's just incredible to watch i i have extreme respect for the women's game especially because of the fact that they don't get paid a lot of times like living wages and there's been a lot of talk about benefits and things like that but if you sit down and you watch a women's hockey game it is so much fun it is so fast and the players are skilled the only difference between the men's and the women's hockey uh really is that in the women's there's not a lot of hitting but when team canada and team u.s play you know you got the battles in front you got the pushing and shoving afterwards so if your argument is oh well there's no hitting so i don't like it just watch a canada versus a usa game and you you can't even tell the difference
2: my so some of the best olympics games that i've seen were um um, were women's hockey it's obviously there's some classic um men's hockey olympics but i will say there has been some classic women's hockey games where i was blown away by the level of skill the the back and forth the drama the like the tight game where you know it's coming down to the wire and it's it's a higher level than i think people you know, expect, and I think people need to give it a chance. I think the downside with women's hockey right now, my opinion, I'm going to preface that with my opinion. The one downside is the level of competition with other countries right now. It's mostly Canada, USA. There's not a lot when it comes to the Swedish women's team or the Finnish women's team or Russian women's team, the level of competition's not there yet. The more the game the game grows the more that will come and it's important that it does grow and that you'll get that level of competition moving forward. So the one problem I just think is that unless it's a Canada USA women's game it's going to be a blowout if it's Canada Sweden or if it's USA Russia or it's so you know what the outcomes going to be whereas with the men and the under 18s Anyone can win at any time. So that level of um, surprise could come out. Mm -hmm. The Finns always surprise. Um, You know, sometimes Czech Republic pulls out some great games. But it's really it's a problem that is just stemming from how new it is. And it's it's going to it's going to get better. And what needs to happen is it needs the support. It needs the people. It needs the following to build it so that it gets to that point where it can be just as exciting as the, you know, the World Juniors every year where everyone like, I'm not sure what it's like in the States, but in Canada, World Juniors, Boxing Day, it's a tradition. Like, at least in everyone that I know, BC is not as hardcore hockey as places like Ontario and Quebec, but where I am. We always get together Boxing Day, and it's World Juniors Day, and it's it's huge. And give it 10 years, the women's game could be approaching it if they get the growth in those other countries.
1: I agree. Um, I think my one complaint with women's hockey, and it's not even about the hockey itself, it's about the accessibility of seeing the hockey or knowing when it's on or any of that like it to be able to grow the sport it needs to be accessible it needs to be seen you know so you need these these divisions and these teams to be able to give the viewership the ability to watch which means we need networks to carry it and we need that kind of thing. And and we're not getting that. I know that for the women's leagues this past year, they were televised at some point, but I never even saw when it was going to be televised. So I never had a chance to like really watch it.
2: Yep. It's, it's getting better this last season I saw a little bit more of it in like the social media presence, maybe not necessarily on television, but it was definitely floating around Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that about when the games were. And there was a little bit more hype than I've ever seen. So that's a good sign, but yeah, it definitely needs to be more accessible and you know, the sponsorships and stuff will come if all it's going to take is a couple, maybe some people with a little bit of money in their pockets that are willing to take that gamble and help. To grow the game. And you've seen it this year. A lot of players when they do press conferences and stuff. Uh, I saw, I think it was only a couple of weeks ago, I think Thatcher Demko before pre-COVID. Um, I think he came out for a press conference wearing a PWHL Professional Women's Hockey Association. Yeah. So he had one of their see, and that's the problem. See, I'm part of the problem. I don't I don't know the branding. It's the recollection is there and knowing that these nhl players are trying to use their platform and say hey i'm supporting these people and maybe some impressionable people out there will see a thatcher demko a jack eichel and austin matthews some of these guys that start to support what the women are doing and say hey i want some of their merch and you know maybe i'm going to tune into a game and see what it's all about
1: and we can't have people like the or groups like the IIHF canceling the Dang worlds if we want to get that exposure
2: you have been listening to episode five of the third line podcast for jessica mosley adam kersenblatt and myself chris roy and liz child wherever she's listening thanks very much for tuning in and we'll see you next week